We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I was actually thinking I was going to just zoom through, hit the whole chapter and finish up tonight because there's so, there's so many details here. And uh, I don't know, I've been very practical with my teaching on Sunday and on Wednesday, even though we're going verse by verse. Uh, I've really, whether you've realized or not, been doing a lot of uh, preaching, essentially, like practical application of these things, um, rather than digging into these uh, super detailed explanations of history and grammar and all those other things, because I just don't think that people are necessarily that interested. However, um, all that said, normally what I will do is when we introduce a chapter like this, I'll read the whole chapter so that you can get uh, context. Uh, Tonight, we're just going to cover verses one through four, and all I'm going to read is verses one through four. And that is largely because he's really, he's winding this up. He's talking about a lot of different people and places that you are probably not familiar with at all. So next week, we may bounce through and finish it. But this week, I thought that there was enough of a lesson in one through four that I didn't want to rush it. Um, And so this is about uh, the topic here is about ethical collection of contributions, right? Now, you may ask, well, how is that practical for me? I'm not going to be collecting contributions. But you give, right? Would you donate? Donate to this church. You donate to other causes. Um, perhaps, I don't know, do you, you know, if you listen to uh, somebody on Christian TV or I, however you access um, Christian teaching outside of the church, typically they're going to seek to collect contributions, right? Um, we do our stuff now. I would say... 90 plus percent of our donations come through PayPal or they come through text to give because fewer and fewer people are carrying cash around. I mean, I was concerned for a while regarding our collections um, because of, I don't know, the way this building is designed and, you know, the, the front door is right at the, just right there. And I was concerned that, well, you know, we're going to bring this these collection bags back to the back and then somebody could steal them. And so I bought this safe that, you know, we could use to drop the country. We never used it. (laughs) (laughs) And shortly after that, I mean, we put our stuff in the safe between Sunday and the, the uh, deposit on Monday, but right now we collect so little in the bags on Sunday, we would not be able to keep these doors open for a week on what we collect on Sunday. We wouldn't. Um, so it's just typically the few people that give in cash or they just they feel compelled to give right then and there. Um, occasionally there's a larger donation, but most of the time it's very, very minimal. Um, people are giving in other ways. I say that because now, I don't know, you might watch stuff on YouTube or we podcast, maybe you, uh, you listen to a podcast and I'm terrible at collecting donations via, uh, the stream and the podcast. Um, you know, you guys just heard, if you're paying attention, you can go to our website. If you'd like to give to our church, lifewellchurch.com, and you'll see how to give to our church rather than me spending a bunch of time here or having graphics here about doing this. And maybe we're missing out on money. I, I don't know. 
But when I got saved, when I came to Christ, um, one of the largest influences was a church in Phoenix, Arizona called the North Phoenix Baptist Church. This is long before the internet age. And on Sunday morning, they broadcast their worship services on uh, KPHO TV Channel 5. That was the local affiliate. And I was just a bored teenager, younger teenager, watching television. And the only thing back then, and now this is before cable, right? So, you know, there, there, were, there were five TV stations. One of them was the local affiliate. One of them was PBS. And the other three were CBS, ABC, and NBC, right? But on Sunday back then, on Sunday morning, the only thing that was, was on were political shows, largely, and religious shows, uh, religious programming. Well, um, I can't even remember what time it came on. I'm going to assume 11 o'clock, but uh, Sunday morning, North Phoenix Baptist Church just came on, and it was just a worship service. It is exactly what we do. Granted, we're not on a local affiliate on television. We're you know streaming on Facebook and YouTube, and nobody's watching these others, but we can stream on them and maybe somebody will stumble in. We're also on Twitter. We're on Twitch. Um, so uh, we broadcast directly to our website. So you can go to our website and it's right there on the website. So that's all this availability. Um, and, you know, if we had thousands of people watching, that would be an opportunity to collect a lot of money. Well, we don't concentrate on that. The reason I mention uh, the North Phoenix Baptist Church is because I watched that worship service on a number of occasions. They never asked for money. Never. They never solicited donations on the air. Now that, you know, would seem to be, you're, you're missing a huge opportunity there, as financial opportunity anyway. They relied entirely on their congregation to run their church. You know, the pastor taught tithing, but he didn't preach every Sunday on money. I mean, he did what I do here. I, I cover financial issues. Either I'm going to cover them briefly tonight because it's in the passage or, you know, about once a year just to encourage people to give their first and their best to the Lord to learn to tithe. Um, I don't talk about that all the time. Pastor Jackson didn't talk about that all the time. Now, I'm a young teenager and that impressed me because it was obvious that they were there for uh, the right reason. You know, you can throw up a tent and collect money. You know, you can use the gospel as an opportunity to get people enthusiastic about giving money to your cause. And there are a lot of ministries or so-called ministries that do that. Um, and they twist arms and they plead and play, play on your emotions and so forth to get you to give and give more and give more and give more. And they make promises, some of which are in the word and some of which are uh, using the word you know, uh, as a tool to manipulate people. But the reason why you should pay attention to these verses tonight, and those of you that are watching should pay attention, is so that you'll have an idea of what an ethical ministry does if they're collecting donations from you, if they're receiving contributions from you. All right. So with that <clears throat> introduction, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Actually, I'm going to read from the... No, I'll read English Standard because 
Uh, Elijah has that on our screen here. And those of you that are watching will see it on the screen there as well. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Now, the Apostle Paul has already spoken about giving and the fact that apostles like him, those who preach the gospel, have the right to earn their living through the contributions of those who give. Um, We have observed, and I've been teaching this all along as we've looked at the Apostle Paul's letters, that he never collected money from the churches that he that he was ministering in while he was there in the initial phase of the church start. Now, Corinth was a very wealthy city. These people had money. Now, even in a wealthy city, you know, I don't know. What's a wealthy city in the United States today? I don't even know. Do you? New York, maybe. But that doesn't mean every, oh, let's say Manhattan. Okay. I mean, you'd have to have a good bit of money to live in Manhattan, obviously. But that doesn't mean that everybody that lives in New York has money, right? Um, You have to have a good bit of money to live in San Diego. My mom lived there. She didn't have a lot of money. She was retired, and she got a retirement rate for uh, the uh, at least one set of apartments that she lived in for a while there. So I say that Corinth was wealthy, but that doesn't mean that everybody there was wealthy, right? However... You don't have to have a lot of wealthy people in your church to fund your ministry. You just have to have a few that will tithe on what they make. Because as you guys are well aware, there's nobody in this room that's wealthy. There's probably nobody watching that's wealthy. But there is an incredible income disparity in the world. And as much as our country provides many opportunities for people to earn a living, There's a lot of income disparity here as well. So you can have a church our size where the average number of people that are tithing, I don't know. I don't watch everybody's money. I don't look at, oh, so-and-so's not giving, all right? Um, But based on the number of people that come and, you know, what we have coming in and so forth, I would bet that fewer than half of our people tithe. Um, And I would bet that, probably 25% of the people that are regulars here are doing the heavy lifting to, to fund our ministry, right? If you have one, if we had one millionaire in this church, just one, that tie, that would bring in more money than everybody else put together, right? So you're like, well, Pastor Darrell, why don't you go out and <laughs> recruit a millionaire? Well, they don't come to churches that look like this. So uh, what can I tell you? That's that's not been my ministry. But we have to fund our ministry. This is the reality, okay? We can all pretend like money doesn't matter. And I don't preach money on Sundays, as I, as I mentioned. But the reality is it takes money to do ministry. That's all there is to it. It takes money to do everything. You can't do this for free, right? So... You know, we try to be very, very careful and very ethical 
about our teaching and preaching and about how we collect uh, donations, right? So what we see in these four verses is a window into how the Apostle Paul dealt with churches in this matter of giving, right? So just a number of bullet points, all right? Number one, he did not collect money for himself or others with him during the time he was starting a church. I already mentioned that, but that's really the first point. We already saw this in chapter nine. Uh, here's 1 Corinthians 9, 15 through 18. This is the New American Standard Bible. It'll be very similar to the ESV Elijah if you put it up there. 1 Corinthians 9, 15 through 18 says, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the same church in our book that we've been studying. But I have used none of these things. What are these things? His right to um, be supported in ministry his right to earn a living by preaching the gospel. He made tents, and that's what he did if he had to. But see, when he was at a church like Corinth, other churches that he had already started would send him money, and then he would be able to stop making tents and concentrate on preaching the gospel. I've used none of these things, and I've not written these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than that. No one shall make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about, for I'm under compulsion. For woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a commission nonetheless. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right to the gospel. So in other words, he's not doing this for money. I've said this many times. If the Lord gave me another way to make money, I would stop taking uh, a salary from this church. But he has not. I've been doing this for a long time. This is the way I make my living. Um, I've done other things. I've substitute taught and, you know, I've driven for Uber and Lyft. But it's always been something that I can control, right? When you sub, you can choose to sub for one day or three days or five days when you drive for Uber and Lyft, it's the same thing. You can choose to drive that day. You can choose the number of hours you drive that day. And, you know, you're, listen, there are, there are maybe some people, a few people that make a living uh, driving uh, uh, for Uber, rideshare, they call it. But uh, I'm here to tell you, if you ride with somebody that's driving for Uber, tip, they are not making a lot of money. They're not. And from what somebody just told me today that got a ride uh, that Ubered to a particular location, they haven't even gone up in their rates yet. And the gas prices are ridiculous right now. I don't know how these folks are doing it. I don't. Now, the reality is it costs money. Yeah. All right. We need to all consider this. And I, I wealthier people need to consider this. Inflation is not an excuse for wealthy people to get wealthier. Everybody needs to share this burden, right? So gas companies used to keep going up and up and up and up. I really, really seriously doubt that gas prices have to be this high right now. It's an opportunity, okay? These car lots, they're selling vehicles for five, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 above. They do not have to do that. They don't. People are willing to pay it. And so they'll charge you for it. So guess what? I'm keeping my truck. I ain't giving them my money, right? And if I could find a way to get a vehicle that used less gas, I wouldn't be giving gas companies my money either, right? I'm just, I'm not going to do it. 
So, you know, everybody got their pandemic money. You don't have it anymore, do you? Where'd you spend it? Those are the people that have your money, right? We all need to realize this. It costs everybody money. And you got people like people in this room that are retired. You're on a fixed income and the prices keep going up. And you're thinking, how am I going to do this? Right? Well, inflation is a burden that we really all need to share. And um, everyone needs to realize that our reliance on the Lord needs to increase, not decrease when we're going through stuff like this. And that means our church has to stay open. We have to pay the bills. Right? So this is not a bill when you tithe our church. So it would be easy to just cut that and say, well, I need this extra money, but you really need to be faithful. We need you to be faithful, but you need to be faithful because you need the Lord to bless you. You need the Lord to protect your income. You really need that. It's important, right? So we seek to be ethical about this, right? So um, I don't talk about donations, contributions, tithing and so forth to focus on me. My income hasn't risen in many years. I got a small, I think like 3%, 5%, something like that um, increase maybe five years ago. But other than that, it's the same. Okay. Uh, I have been living here at the church. So I've been donating my housing allowance to the church so we can stay in this building. But if I start taking my housing allowance again, it probably wouldn't pay for a one bedroom apartment right now. It's the same amount of money that I was receiving in 1999. So I'm not doing this for money. By doing this for money, I wouldn't have stayed at this church, okay? Now, I'm not doing that to break my arm, pat myself on the back. I'm just trying to help you understand ministers that are in ministry because they've been called are not doing it for money. That doesn't mean we don't need money to survive. We do, right? But if all I do is sit around and talk about money and take up collections for me, listen, when you give to this church, you're not giving to me. You're giving to this church. I make the same salary no matter what. If I don't do this Bible study on Wednesday, I make the same salary. If I don't do the karate club on Tuesday, I make the same salary. If I don't do drama on Thursday, same salary, right? If I want to make life easy on myself or if I wanted to make more money, I would just do what I do on Sunday and then have a job five days a week and just, you know, really, really focus down. And because uh, I, yeah, I don't know how long y'all are going to keep listening to me. I mean, I'm 60 years old now. I feel pretty young. You know, hopefully I'll keep teaching until I'm dead, but uh, no guarantee. I can't retire. It's not even possible. Right. Um, so I've got to rely on the Lord. Now, again, I'm just using me as an example. Right. I'm not trying to get any sort of sympathy or cause you to change anything. I'm trying to help you to understand that all of us have um, obligations. All of us have needs. And especially when we're going through times like this, we really need to rely on the Lord. OK. Number two, when Paul requested money. It was for needs other than his own. So when he asked for money, he didn't say, please, our ministry is going to fold. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the TV ministry is going to fold. We're not going to be on the air any longer if we don't collect $500,000 in the next 10 minutes. And the Lord is telling me right now that there are 10,000 people out there that need to give $100. You know, baloney, man. Turn that off. That's nonsense. 
Seriously, man, turn that off. That person is on there for money, period. Okay, if the Lord wants us here, then he's going to move your heart and you're going to give and we're going to be here. Now, if we end up in a situation where we have a need, I'll tell you that we have a need, but it's not so I can collect money and put money in the bank, right? I firmly believe and have for a long time that if the Lord has called you to do something, he's going to supply what you need to do it. Now, that doesn't mean I might not have to, you know, tighten up the belt. You know, I frankly, because of my living situation, I don't. Well, I rarely cook. I made some eggs this morning. okay, because I've got a lot of weight. But I go out to eat all the time. And that's a ridiculous expenditure of money. It really, really is. But right now, my favorite restaurant that I go out to eat at is Gloria's. They just keep raising their prices and raising their prices and raising their prices. And, and finally, I went in there on Monday and they'd raise their prices again. Well, they lost me. I might go in there, you know, occasionally, once every couple of weeks, maybe once a month, like normal people, in other words. All right. But I can't afford that. So, you know, they may think that they need to do that, but if they cut down on the number of customers that are buying those meals, then, you know, maybe they don't need to keep adding, adding, adding. But see, the reality is, as long as people keep going in there and paying it, they're just going to keep raising the prices. I got to be sensible. I can't be just shelling money out right and left and whatever. I just, you know, I got to look at what is going to work. So it may be, you know, we got to tighten our belt up. But nonetheless, um, the Apostle Paul often collected money for needs other than his own. In the present situation, we don't see it in these verses, but in uh, the second Corinthian letter, he says that it is the, it is the collection for the saints, right? Um, but in second Corinthians chapters eight and nine, we see that it is specifically for the poor in Jerusalem. It was apparently uh, some really, really difficult uh, financial straits going on, uh, perhaps somewhat of a famine was going on. And they were collecting this money because they were going to take this collection back to Jerusalem to distribute to the saints there. Okay, So he collected money for needs other than his own. Number three, <clears throat> he did not reject donations to meet his needs. Right? In fact, in our letter, he's already taught that ministers have the right to receive support. And that's chapter 9, uh, verses 3 through 14. In fact, he went so far as to remind the, the Corinthians of Jesus' teaching in this matter. What did Jesus say? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So he takes from Jesus' teaching to his apostles when he sent them out. He told the apostles specifically, don't take anything with you. Don't take money with you. You're not supporting yourself. Don't go from house to house. You're going to rely on donations from these people. You're going to go. You're going to stay in someone's house. You're going to eat what they feed you. And then when it's time to go, you're going to move on somewhere else. So they weren't, they, you know, when people wanted to follow Jesus, he said, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't have a home base, really. I mean, he started in the Galilee area and, but you know, we don't know what house he had. He just moved around from place to place. And um, he lived where the, where the Lord put him. And he said, you know, this is exactly what's going on with, you, with, you know, all the rest of the apostles. They're itinerant. They, you know, they're essentially home. I've never owned a house. I could have bought a house a long time ago. 
it would have probably been wise invest money I their own house and right now it's not even possible initially I moved back in here this time because I was going to save my housing allowance for a down payment on a house yeah try to buy a house now that's a joke oh my goodness houses that were a hundred and eighty thousand dollars a little over a year ago were selling for over three hundred thousand I'm sorry that's nonsense that's that's nonsense that's ridiculous now if you have a house and you can sell it for that somebody will buy it for that that's great, but then you got to buy another one for that amount. <laughs> so if you already have a house, it's no different for you because you can sell this one and buy this one, and it's the same thing. Somebody like me that's never owned a house, not even possible. It's not even possible. It's, it's nonsense, all right? I you have to go back to how I was raised and live in a trailer, <laughs> you know? So whatever I got to do, I got to do. Um, but we see that Paul commended churches that gave support to him. And that's what we find in Philippi. So what's the famous verse, the most famous verse that you probably know from Philippians? Philippians what? 4.13, 413 which says what? Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All right, now listen to that verse. That verse is actually about Paul learning how to get along, whether he had a lot or whether he had little. Right. Because sometimes you receive, you know, a, you know, a donation and it's like, oh, wow. <clears throat> and I've learned if somebody gives a donation to the church or they give something directly to me, I don't just go out and say, wow, I'm going to go and spend a bunch of money. Let's let's go out. No, I put it in the bank. Because I know, you know, there's feast and there's famine and you got to be ready. Right. Here's what he said to the Philippians. This is Philippians 4, 10 through 20. Philippians 4, 10 through 20. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. So apparently they'd been a while since they'd sent him anything. Now they didn't send it in the mail. They had to send a person to it. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked an opportunity to act. Now he was in jail, so they had to find where he was and they had to send somebody to him. Not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with little, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. So this is the only church that was supporting him when he was starting these other churches. Wow. And in other words, he started these other churches and then was just out of sight, out of mind. We're not going to worry about it. You know, we got our own concerns, right? Um, so no other church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. See, when you give, it blesses you. Yes, it blesses us, but it blesses you. Jesus was the one that said it is more blessed to give than to receive, right? I seek the profit that increases to your account, he said. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm supplied amply. Having received from Epaphroditus, here's the, the uh, messenger they sent, what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, 
an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And you know this verse too, and I've quoted it many times. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That promise is associated with this faithfulness in giving. Okay. Number four, um, they're directed to set aside money on the first of every week. Right? So we may assume that that is when the church met regularly since it was the day Jesus rose from the dead. In Revelation, it is known as the Lord's Day. We find that in Revelation 1.10. Early secular history reports that Christians met early in the morning on a fixed day, right? So now I'm going to read a passage not from Scripture, but from a secular historian who would actually be hostile to Christ and the gospel. But if you want to know what facts are, when you read what a hostile authority has to say, and they testify to the same thing as the scripture, then you can be sure that that's what was happening. Because if they hated Jesus and wanted to discredit him and wanted to lie about him, then they could do that. This is Pli- uh, a historian known as Pliny the Younger, and this was penned in AD 111. They also declared that the sum total of their guilt, now he's talking about what they did with Christians when they were persecuting them and martyring them, They also declared that the sum total of their guilt or error amounted to no more than this. They had met regularly before dawn on a fixed day to chant verses alternately among themselves in honor of Christ as if to a God, and also to bind themselves by oath, not for any criminal purpose, but to abstain from theft, robbery, and adultery. Wow, that's what a hostile authority who was persecuting Christians said about them. Why are they persecuting them, right? Well, they're persecuting them because they wouldn't swear allegiance to the emperor as a god. All right, so number five, giving God the first of our money and time is worship. It shows that we value God above all matters and persons. So it's good to give on the first day of the week. It's good to worship on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is when Jesus rose, right? That's awesome. But it's also, you're offering the first of your time. Now, Sunday has effectively become the seventh day of the week, right? Um, but, you know, the, the idea here is that you're always thinking about putting God above yourself, putting God above other things that you want. So when you get extra time, what do you do with it? <laughs> when you get extra money, what do you do with it? What's the first thing you do? I've already told you this, um, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, put this person's name out there. Um, but there is someone who attends another church, and uh, he's involved in our ministry and other areas, and they tithe to their church. Okay, so there are tithes and offerings. The tithes should go to your church. Offerings are the over and above. Okay, and that's when you think about, oh, you know. I'm going to help this homeless person or I'm going to help this ministry over here or whatever. That's the offering. So his tithe goes to his church, but he received some extra money recently. And it wasn't even money that, you know, you know, win the lottery or something. It was actually money that came from his own resources, but it was extra money. And he tithed off of that to our church. He didn't have to do that. 
But I'm going to tell you, that guy's going to continue to be blessed and he's going to have resources. If you're a giver, God's going to make sure you have the resources to continue to give. Right? Uh, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Right? Second uh, Corinthians 9, 8 says, and God is able, God is able to make all grace abound to you that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God's going to make sure you have not only what you need, but more so that you can give. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, can God trust me? Or am I just selfish? Do I just think about me all the time? That's, you know, uh, we're going to address idolatry briefly again on Sunday because the Israelites had a problem with it. They, they always had a problem with it, but they had a problem with it in the wilderness. But the number one idol is me, right? And you're saying that, me, self. That's the number one idol, right? So the old preachers used to say that there's a throne on, in the heart of your life. Who's sitting on the throne? Well, when I say Jesus is Lord, I'm putting Jesus on the throne, right? Actually, I'm not putting Jesus anywhere. I'm getting off the throne and saying, I'm offering it to him. But you have your life. Nobody else has control over your life. You may feel like they do, but you really have your life, right? And even if you feel like a slave to your job or, you know, other things, you still have choices to make, right? You can always choose what you feel. You can choose what you think. You say, I can't choose what I feel. Yeah, you really can. You have to really work it, but you can, right? You can choose what you think. Cognitive strategies are better than drugs, right? Drugs are treating the symptoms. Cognitive strategies, thinking differently, is treating the source, right? Um, so giving the first of our money and time is worship. It shows that we value God above other matters and persons. That's number five. Number six, the Corinthians were taught to put aside and save as they prospered. Okay? You can't give what you don't have. You give from what you do have. But when the Lord prospers you, you give according to that prospering, right? Now, I'll reveal something that you didn't know. I give more than the tithe. I give above the tithe. I want the Lord to bless me. And when I think about where I'm going to spend this money, I might as well just give it back to the church. I don't need it. What am I going to use it for? What am I going to do with it? It's just a waste. I don't need to go to Dillard's every two weeks and buy another shirt or something, right? Um, I don't need more doodads for my truck. I don't need more technology. I don't need more guns or, you know, whatever guys buy, okay? I don't need that. You'll find that you want a lot of things, but you don't need just because you want it, all right? I'd rather do something that, um, you know, will further the gospel. So um, now it's kind of selfish. This is the church that I pastor and I give right back to this church. But I also regularly uh, turn in different opportunities and I let the finance ladies decide now how much and when. But we give all over the place. All right. The church tithes as well. Um. There's a homeless organization in Dallas called Our Calling. We've given to them. There's Good Samaritan right up the street up there. We give to them. 
There's um, Samaritan's Purse, international organization run by Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son. We give to them. We give to the Baptist General Convention of Texas, the Dallas Baptist Association. You know, um, yeah, we give too. Uh, because I want our church to be blessed. If you want to be blessed, then choose to be a blessing, right? So they were taught to put aside and save as they prospered. You can't give what they, what you don't have. When the Lord gives you the ability to create wealth via your job or other means of income, you show that you recognize this by giving the first back to him. You know what I find happens with a lot of people? They may give when they have less money. They may give a higher percentage when they have less money. Okay, so let's say you have a part-time job, okay? And you're making a minimal amount of money in your part-time job. Let's say you're making $1,000 a month on your part-time job, okay? Well, considering giving $100 a month, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but that's nothing, right? It's $100 a month. It's $25 a week if you were making $250 a week in a part-time job. That's, that, well, that doesn't sound like a lot. What happens when the Lord promotes you and you're making $1,000 a week? Oh, wait a minute. Well, that's $400 a month. That's kind of getting priced. How about if the Lord promotes you and you're making $5,000 a week? $500, that's $2,000 a month. I don't know about that. Then that money's going to eat you alive. You're going to find you're less happy on that amount of money than you were when you were making two fifty dollars a week because you don't understand what it's about. You don't. I'm not pointing to you like it's you. It's like whoever's listening. This is just my preacherliness going on, okay? I'm trying to make anybody feel bad and say you would do this or you would do that. It's not you sitting here in this room or even you listening. It's just, I think we all need to consider that. Oh, why don't I make all this money? Well, there are other people that are just, man, they're just givers. And they they give no matter what. Make $10,000 a month, they're giving $1,000 a month, probably more than that. They're just givers, right? We need to want to be and choose to be givers as we prosper then we need to choose to give back and never stop. And, you know, be thankful to the Lord. Wow, Lord, thank you. You know, here's this bonus that I got. I wasn't even expecting. Are you going to tithe off of it? Oh, well, I didn't think about that. Why? Why? Are you thankful? As you prosper, as they prospered, right? So we're told that God promised the Israelites that they would be able to create wealth. And that is found in uh, Deuteronomy 8.18. So you may create wealth through your job. You may create wealth. Maybe, you know, somebody has figured out YouTube like I haven't, and they generate income through that. Or apparently people are making money off of TikTok, too. I don't, that thing has gotten so big, and I don't know. Y'all are mainly like me, probably. Have you downloaded that on your phone? I, I don't get it. I can't choose really it just pushes stuff to me and I don't care. I, how do you know what I want? You know? So I, I guess if I knew a bunch of people that I wanted to watch and I subscribed to them, then maybe the algorithm would, 
like push the right stuff to me. Okay, so TikTok, right? Have you listened to TikTok videos? There's always a little girl who is narrating like this. I don't get it. Like all these videos, you know, here's a butterfly. And there's a little girl that is talking just like this. Maybe that's how. If I talk like this, will you listen to me? <laughs> if I preach the whole time like this, will it be cool? If I put a picture of a four-year-old here, would that be good? No. All right. Being silly. Um, you don't give to make yourself poor. People play the, the, uh, the Bible lotto when they just think that they can just put more and more money. Now, you might think, Pastor Darrell, what are you saying? Are you telling us to give less? I'm telling you to give as you prosper. I'm telling you to follow the Bible's advice. Okay, you're like, oh, no, I, I'm just going to, this is going to be painful, but I'm going to give. Did the Lord lead you to do that? If the Lord led you to do it, then it's a faith offering and you should do it. Okay. But if you're playing the spiritual lotto, like, did you know right now that there is a hundred dollar lottery ticket that people can buy? Uh-uh. Friends, that's dumb. That's just done. It's a hundred dollar lottery. Now I'm not talking about like your normal, you know, what's it called? Uh, uh, mega millions or whatever. And somebody's foolish enough to buy a hundred dollars worth of numbers. That's just dumb. If you're going to buy a number, just buy one. That's all you need to win. Well, I got better odds. You got way better chance of getting hit by lightning. Okay. So if you want to play, just buy one. You don't have to buy 10 or all of that. That's stupid. that's nothing. $100? $100 ticket. But see, some people, they've been driven by unethical, unscrupulous, corrupt preachers to believe, well, the more I give, the more I give, the more. No, you need to give as you prosper and as the Lord leads. And the, the, the principle is the tithe. It's that simple. And above the tithe, there's an offering. So if I have some extra money and I don't know what to do with it, and I'm like, well, here, Lord, I'll just give it to you. I'm making myself bankrupt by doing that. Okay. But, you know, you've got these unscrupulous ministers that are like getting people that have no money to send their money. Oh, no, I promise you the Lord's going to bless you. And the Lord didn't lead you to do it. That persuasive preacher did. Right. That's not what we do. We give as we prosper. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 15, which we'll get to in what, about six months? Um, For this is not for the relief of others and your hardship. Listen to that again. This giving is not for the relief of others and your hardship. He's not telling them, I want you to starve so these people can prosper. Listen, man, you got preachers out there that are rolling around in Learjets and Gulf Streams and driving... You know, Rolls Royces, that is nonsense. Okay? I wouldn't give Benny Hinn a dime. Read his nephew's uh, book, Costi Hinn is the guy's name. And he writes about how ridiculous these people are and how they're taking advantage of people. It's wrong. It is absolutely wrong. And there are people that have no money giving them their money. Why? 
Kasi Hinn gives this example of Benny Hinn in India, and there's like a million people, no joke, a million people listening to him. And they take up this offering from these abjectly poor people and leave India with money running out their ears. That's nonsense. I don't want to be anywhere near the judgment bar of Christ when folk like that get judged, right? I got enough issues of my own. I don't need that, okay? That's, you don't give for the relief of others in your hardship, but by way of equality, okay? So if I go to, well, I don't know, Subway, and I buy a 12-inch sub, right? Now, I can eat a 12-inch sub. Do I need to eat a 12-inch sub? Not really. But I got a 12-inch sub. Cut it in half. Somebody over here doesn't have any food. I don't cut off a little bit and say, here's a bite. By way of equality, I have a 12-inch sub. She has nothing. Figure it out. Cut six inches off and ask if they'd like it and then give it to them. Now, the reality is I can skip a meal and not be hurting at all. So if there's somebody over here that doesn't have food either, I can do without for one meal. That's still by way of equality because I've got the money to go out and buy something else later. So we got these folks, you know, I've had homeless folks in here plenty of times and they probably asked you for money. Um, And I will tell you the very organization that I mentioned earlier that we've given to our calling will tell you don't give homeless people money. Now, we have a fellow that used to come all the time on Wednesday and Uh, You know, we've given him money to pay his storage bill over here and so forth. And, you know, um, yeah, on the whole, you give them food, right? They ask for money. Okay. This is why you've noticed, have you noticed my no loitering signs out there? Did y'all think I was being mean? No. I used to have this bench out here that said, welcome. I set it out there and it's been different ones of these guys. It just depends on who it is. But one person or another will sit on that bench all day long and never move. It's a prime spot for panhandling. Right? It's low-key panhandling. Right? They look homeless because of how they're dressed. They wear a hangdog look on their face. Say hi to people as they pass by. If somebody turns and says hi back, hi, can you? Now I see plenty of people, and this is why I put the no loitering out there. Plenty of people do what I would do, which is, hey, you know, somebody asks you, can I have, you know, X for, to, you know, to eat? No, but I'll go over here and get you something. Do you know how many times I have found sandwiches, cakes, whatever from that counter over there at Rosaline sitting in front of our building uneaten or with maybe one bite out of them. Now you would think if you're using this space out here as an opportunity to panhandle and initially I didn't, if they don't stay there all day, I'm not going to be mad about it, but trash, man. Listen, you can't even pick up your own trash. You sit there all day long, spit, 
leave little pieces of tobacco and whatever and leave trash and leave, you know, drink, you know, uh, um, cups and it just, yeah, it, it frustrates me. So finally, I just put those signs up. And somebody was sitting out there right after I put the sign up, sitting out there. And I said, are you, are you ignoring my sign? I said, you can't sit there. This person was nice enough to move. But they just moved over in front of the, uh, the hairdresser place and sat there. Listen, that's fine. But I would think if you have a need like that, that you would realize that you can do the bare minimum. Pick up around the church. Pick up your stuff and pick up some other trash and throw it away. Look, it's a golden spot right here on the corner where everybody can pass by. Right? So we need to be wise. I have, uh, I guess, I don't call it a principle. I just call it a policy. If I don't have any cash in my wallet and I get asked for money, then obviously I can't help because I'm not going with them to the ATM. (laughs) That's just not going to happen. Right. If they're saying that they need food, then I'm going to go and buy them food or I'm going to take them to get food. That's typical. Now, I'm like anybody else. I can be just don't have time to do that right now. And uh, we have another homeless guy that's come to our church on a few occasions. And he was sitting over at Rosaline. And I went in there and got coffee one morning and he asked me for some money for food. Uh, what do you ask me? He's asking me for like $5. I said, well, what are you going to get? He said, well, what I always get, I'm just going to get a Coke and some chips. Well, I hope that's what he got. Right. I was just too lazy to want to, you know, check it out. So I just gave him five bucks. Right. And that's probably what a lot of us do, but you got to pray about it. I'm not saying be mean to anybody, but we help all these people if we can, but it's just, it's unwise to get, cause I will tell you, same homeless person sitting out here in front of the church, leaving all kinds of trash and whatever, um, was sitting across the street over here, and um, I brought him some coffee. Well, he was sitting there with a 40-ounce, and it was 8 o'clock in the morning. You're drinking a 40 at 8 o'clock in the morning? No, you're not getting any money from me. So he didn't need my coffee. A 40-ounce, Yeah. Uh, as in malt liquor, right? So that's not what I'm going to do. Um, all right. As it is written, the one who had gathered much did not have too much, and the one who had gathered little did not have too little. So be wise about your giving. You give as you prosper, and God will ensure that you always have enough plus more so that you can continue to give. This is for all of us. You may make a little, you may make a lot, but you give as you prosper, right? Listen. I, I've, I've got a sermon that I preached a couple of times in this church, and I won't preach the whole thing. I'm just going to give you the, the summation. In this life, there are givers, there are takers, and there are traders. There are people that give. No matter how little they have, they give. I've had homeless people come in this church and give. They're givers. I've had homeless people come in this church and never give a dime. Take, take, take take, take. I say, well, will you take out the trash? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Well, you want to fold the bulletin? Grumble, grumble, grumble. 
Will you stop spitting on the front of the church? Will you stop leaving trash out there? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Man, if somebody's having a hard time, sure, man. I'm all about it. Let's, let's do what we can do. But if you're just a taker, eventually, probably sooner than later, and I've watched this happen. These folks burn out all of the sources that they have because they're just takers. And eventually all of us get sick of being taken from, right? And then there are traitors, okay? Um, I have relatives that are like this. If I send them a present, they feel compelled to send a present or buy a present back, right? That's my problem with Christmas a lot of times. I know it's a wonderful season, but do you ever feel burdened at Christmas because somebody gave you a present and you're like, oh, no, I got to get them something. <laughs> You'd rather them just wish you a Merry Christmas and give you a card or something, right? Because I just don't play that game. I'm like, if somebody gives me something, I'm like, you know, thank you, bless you. I, I you know, it's like, it's, it's an endless cycle, right? Um, givers, takers, and traders. All right. Um, number eight. God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. If you're not a giver, don't blame God for withholding prosperity from you. Okay? People can be prosperous numerically, have more money in the bank, but not be full, not be fulfilled, right? hate their life. There's plenty of bored, sad, depressed, angry, rich people, right? Because that's not what it's all about. So learn to be a giver and God is going to bless through you. And number eight, Paul maintained financial accountability by asking them to appoint their own trustworthy agents to bring the collection to those in need. Let's go back up and look at that again. He said, when I arrive, um, when I arrive, whomever you approve, I will send with the letters to take your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is appropriate for me to go also, they will go with me. So he said, I want you to appoint the people that are going to collect this money. And I want you to appoint the people that are going to take this money. I don't take up money in this church. Now, people hand me money all the time. And nine times out of 10, what I do is I put it in the offering bag or in the offering box, right? Or I hand it to one of our financial people. Um, I've had times when people have handed me money from somewhere else and I fold it up and I put it in a special spot in my wallet so I know that's not my money, right? But I've had a time, uh, you know, somebody gave me money for the karate club one time and I stuck it in one of these bags that I have. And I think I, I dragged it out on the floor when I took my phone out and I have no idea where that check went. And so I had to hang dog back to him and say, I'm sorry, I lost your check. <laughs> right. So always, you know, put it in the offering bag, put it in the offering box, which is right there at the back of the room. Give it to Rachel, give it to Heather, uh, give it to Edgar Noriega. Um, yeah. They're, they're trustworthy and they'll get it in the safe and it'll get in the bank, okay? Um, plus, it's just, it puts me above blame not to be taking money from people, right? 
I don't beg people for money. I don't take money from people. I'm going to tell you to be faithful. And this is, again, this is why I like uh, our, our procedure now. I mean, you can text to give. Uh, you can give through PayPal. Um, again, go to our website, lifewellchurch.com. I don't, I don't touch that money at all. Right? The ladies look at it. They transfer it into our account. If you do text to give, it gets transferred into our account. They give you credit for it. You get credit for your taxes. That's the way it is, right? It's financial accountability. The preacher or teacher shouldn't be involved with taking the actual money from people. And he should have others in charge of count. I never count our money. Now, I bring the deposit to the bank. But again, it's always a very small amount now because very few people give cash. But they put it in a sealed envelope and I take it to the bank. That's because there's nobody else to do it. So I take it to the bank. And nowadays I sit in the teller line because you've got to like the bank that we use now, you got to like buzz in for them to, that's, a, that's a just, that's such a bit of nonsense. It really is. But I don't, yeah, I don't want the money. If, if we're collecting money for something like, you know, I don't t-shirts or books or whatever, I, I don't want that money. Now, I'm not saying that I, you know, I, I'll be mean to you. I won't take it. But if we're in this room, I'm going to say, will you go put it in that box right there? Will you give that to Rachel right over there? That's what I'm going to do most of the time. All right. So this is why you can have confidence that your giving is to the Lord and not to me. Right. If you're giving to our church, you're giving to the work of the Lord. Um, and it's going to be used for his purposes, not to feed the greed of a corrupt minister. So take a good look once again at those who solicit funds. Where's the money really going? And we have a budget that gets approved every year. And you know what's going on in this church. How does that leader live? I've already told you how I live. Okay. If that leader's living large, living in a million dollar home, driving in a hundred thousand dollar, two hundred thousand dollar car, why are you giving money to that ministry? No, seriously, why are you giving money to that ministry? You're giving to feed the greed of that person. Okay. Choose to be wiser with what you with what you get. What are they using the donations for? Are they using them to live a modest life, to further the teaching of the word of God and the preaching of the gospel? Do they help others in need as they're able and as they're, and as they're encouraging you to do? Are they accountable or does the money disappear after it's given? We practice the ethical collection of donations in this church. And you can rest assured that donations are not enriching anyone. They're not enriching me. Pastor Craig does not get paid. I wish we could afford to pay him so he could, you know, work full time here. Huh? No, she doesn't. That's her fault. We try. We try and try. Miss Mary says no. She refuses. So, yeah, we, we pay me and we pay the bills. That's pretty much what we do. And as I said, we give to BGCT, DBA, Samaritan's Purse, Our Calling, Good Samaritan. Uh, recently, we gave to Focus on the Family. Uh, I recently gave a donation to The Rock, the Recreation Outreach Center over there. They're fixing to start their summer ministry. So we give too, right? So you can count on us. Can we count on you, right? All right. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate it. God bless everybody.